Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello and welcome back. And if this is your first time, thank you very much for joining me. I hope you're all well. It is mid-April, and I think many of us, wherever we're listening from, are sheltering in place. This episode is about the talent crisis in life science, and of course, right now, we don't want anything slowing progress on finding new treatments or vaccines for all kinds of things. So this is pretty important. Before we start, I want to say I've had a lot of interesting conversations with people recently because of and about the pandemic. Many of us are communicating differently with our customers and each other. And while I think there's room to do podcasts using Zoom or something similar, and I think that's a great idea, because there's more value than ever in seeing people's faces, there are also opportunities for audio-only communication, both internally and externally. So if you're a marketing leader in life science who thinks you might benefit from sharing simple conversations in an easy-to-access format... I'll leave a link in the show notes to schedule a 15-minute call to explore what that might look like. Now, let's jump into my conversation with Leslie Loveless. My guest today is Leslie Loveless. She is the CEO of Sloan Partners, which is a life science diagnostic executive search firm. Leslie, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thank you, Chris. Glad to be here. We're going to talk today about the talent crisis in life science, and this will be interesting to people looking to get into marketing leadership, but I think also for people looking for to hire new marketing leaders and just kind of give them the landscape of what's going on in the hiring world right now. Describe for us, because I only recently learned about this, this talent crisis in our industry. Sure. So I would say that uh, probably for at least the last five or six years, it's been pretty intense as far as the the need for the best and brightest talent in life sciences and it being a struggle to find enough people that fit the profiles that our clients need. And so it's a good thing in that we remain very busy uh, looking for those professionals, but you know, certainly it's tough. And I, I don't see that even in the current environment with the, you know, the obvious public health problem that we're all facing. I actually believe that the, the need for talent will continue. But in, in terms of what the talent crisis is, is rooted in and where I think it stems from, I would say that Largely, the issue is that companies need broader talent. They need big picture thinkers, high level strategists, folks that can identify emerging market opportunities and think a little bit outside the box. So one of the things that is clearly happening is this convergence of all different types of healthcare and scientific companies coming together. And there is a need for people in high-level positions to think about how their company, their technology can integrate with another company's technology or products and, and really think strategically about how to make those conversations happen and to introduce new opportunities in the market. 
Right. So would you say, and this, uh, this comes up reasonably often on this podcast, it's been a trend, in, at least in my part of life sciences, to hire scientists from within. And they come into marketing and they're not really marketers at all. And they have a particular expertise around a technology is that contributing a little bit? Because we're not, it's only recently that I feel people are starting to look outside of life science for new ideas and that kind of bigger picture thinking. Is that? Absolutely. That? Uh, if you had told me 10 years ago that our clients would come to us and say, we really want someone from Facebook or we really want someone from Google, I would have thought, no, that, you know, that's not likely to happen anytime soon, but it absolutely is happening and regularly because folks that come from the, you know, these executives that come from companies like that are exceptional at bringing the right attention to their products and product capabilities. And healthcare companies have been more conservative really over the years in their approach to the market. And I think that what we're seeing now is a desire to be a little more forward thinking. And you get those types of individuals from the, the techie type companies. Right, so that's exciting for those companies. It's also a lesson for people inside those companies to start thinking about how they need to broaden their skills, or if you're developing someone within your own life science company with a technology background, you can help resolve part of the crisis by giving them opportunities to do things outside of what they normally would. Right? Absolutely. So when a company is looking for marketing leadership, how do they determine what it is that they need in their particular situation at the moment? Yeah, so uh, that largely depends on what stage the company is. Are they just getting started? Are they pre-commercial but approaching commercialization? Do they have products on the market? So what a company needs in marketing and commercial leadership at any given point is really um, dictated by where they are in their own life cycle as an organization. So if, if these companies are pre-commercial, then they need someone that knows how perhaps to develop a market that doesn't exist, to prepare a market for commercial launch, to build the relationship with the thought leaders that are going to help make things happen in, in short order. Or perhaps it is a more uh, mature company that already has products on the market, but maybe they want to reinvent themselves and they're looking for, you know, kind of a rebranding or repositioning of the company. So I think what they're looking for very much depends on where they are. Right. You see some people who move around from company to company because they live maybe in a part a certain part of that cycle, right? And they're good at bringing a company from one stage to the next, and then they have to find a new opportunity, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact is, and th this is true really of any kind of role, people like what they like, you know, they like to be in, involved in companies. Some, some folks are what I call startup junkies. They absolutely love being with early stage companies, being part of a very small team, being part of creating something from the beginning stages. And then you have people that are more on the execution side and 
They don't really enjoy that type of environment, that early stage where we don't have a product to do anything with yet. And, and they want to be in something that's more established. So there's a place for everyone, which is great. And I think, you know, it, it comes down to people knowing themselves, what they're, they're good at and what they love to do. So talk a little bit about your role and the role of Sloan Partners in helping companies figure out what exactly it is they need and then going and finding those people. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting being in um, recruiting. You think that when you work with companies, they are going to know exactly what they want you to go find. But it's, it's actually rarely the case. So when we open searches, my role is from the beginning to manage the client relationship and to support the, the search team. So I am always part of the kickoff of a search with the lead search consultant internally. And our goal on that initial interaction with the key stakeholders at our client partner is really to help them fine tune what it is that they're looking for. And it's, it's, it's a very fluid kind of conversation when we do those kickoff calls, because the more questions we ask, the more the ideal profile evolves in the mind of our client. And it, it's a really beautiful interaction in terms of it feeling very much like a partnership between us and the client. And as a general rule, our clients find those calls to be very productive, not just in helping us go out and target the right candidates, but also in helping them understand exactly what that right candidate looks like. So it's, you know, part of my role is to make sure that happens. Probably helps them focus what their business is really about too. I can imagine there's some provocative things and they have to make choices because they can't say, oh, we want all of those things, right? Right. That's right. Yeah, um, we, we help them figure out what are the must-haves and what are the nice-to-haves. And we really do that by getting them to zero in on what are the deliverables. Like if, if we talk to you in six months and this person has done what you really needed them to do, what did they do? You know, and, and those kinds of questions help to make something a realistic profile versus a... Uh, shiny penny profile, if you understand what I'm saying with that. So describe some of the changes you've seen in life science. We've talked, touched on those a little bit in the marketplace and how that's changed what companies are looking for. Yeah. So I think there are a few really significant ones. One is the fact that the consumer is becoming much more relevant in all aspects of healthcare, including life sciences. So um, all companies are paying more attention to the patient than they ever have before because patients now are more involved and more aware of what is available as it relates to different technologies. And, you know, as a, an example, bracket testing for the breast cancer gene. I mean, that is something that, that the average woman knows exists and knows if if it is um, in her family and if she should be tested. And these are things that people take ownership of now that they never did before. So with scientific advances, the, the consumer is becoming more educated and asking more questions. So I think that is a very important change. Another very important change is the, the impact of data in all aspects of healthcare and drug development. 
So I'm sure you've heard a lot of talk about real world evidence, real world data. And so a lot of new companies are coming into play where this is their focus because the big problem for drug companies is the long cycle and very expensive process of getting a new drug to market. And so the more that these data companies can develop processes and and products and offerings that will allow a more expeditious approach to drug development, the better off the drug companies and ultimately the patients will be. Nice. So you and I spoke before and you talked a little bit about how different companies have a different mindset about what they're looking for in a candidate and not just from the skills point of view, but what they look for broadly and have different approaches about the kinds of people they look for. Describe that for the audience. Yeah. So it, it is true and uh, that, uh, you know, certainly depending on the philosophy of the leadership, they go down different paths and what they're looking for. And, and sometimes that path includes a very heavy focus in educational pedigree. I mean, we have a client that, you know, that they want to see candidates from Ivy League schools or from, you know, the top 10 um, MBA programs in the country. And that's really what drives them because they feel like that produces the best athlete for them. And that person will be able to deliver on really kind of whatever the goals are. And then we have other clients, and I would say the majority of our clients are this way, where they're really looking for, you know, what a person has accomplished in their career. And they're looking for candidates that are coming from companies where they have delivered on something similar or relevant to what our client is looking to do. And that carries more weight with them. So we have, you know, both extremes in recruiting and, and we adapt. That's interesting. And they both must work or, or people would stop doing one or the other, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, certainly it's, it is, true that that both do work and and candidates that we surface that you know have these amazing educational pedigrees or and you know they're Harvard or Wharton MBA graduates and you know things like that these people are going to be successful they are they're going to be successful in and whatever they do and i think that some of our clients when they hire those types of individuals are really hiring for talent that they are good with developing versus hiring someone that's done it already. Mm-hmm. They're thinking this is a longer term play. We're going to invest in this person and develop this person and they will be able to do what we want them to do. Do you see a difference in those companies? So that brings up the question of internally that company, some companies are better at developing raw talent and other companies just don't have that. They they need an off-the-shelf solution, as it were, to yeah. do a thing right now. Yeah, so I would say that, you know, larger companies have more bandwidth to be able to bring in folks that maybe don't have the level of industry experience, and they have, you know, more comprehensive leadership development market programs that these placed candidates can go through, you know, like GE, for example, companies of that magnitude, they have high potential employee programs. And you get into that program and you have all of these opportunities for development and and they know they're the future leaders of the company, right? 
So larger companies have more of an infrastructure to support that approach. But, you know, smaller companies and startup companies, they don't, they don't have the infrastructure, nor do they have the time, you know, to do that. And, but make no mistake about it, a long, a lot of young people are very successful in startups and, and oftentimes are part of the founding group in a company. They're coming out of these institutions that have great research programs and, and these spin outs from the company or from the academic world happen and they get to be part of industry because they were part of the research that was happening in the academic environment. So there's a lot of different ways it can happen. To what degree does um, culture play a role in the hiring equation? Huge. Huge. Uh, I can't really overstate that. And so I I think this is probably a a good place for me to kind of explain where we focus as far as our recruiting goes, because this is why I feel the way I feel about culture and why I say that I really can't overstate the importance of it. Our focus as a search firm is largely in serving small, you know, startups, small to mid-sized companies. We don't typically do a lot of work with large, global, multi-billion dollar, many, many thousands of employees type companies. That's not really um, where our focus is as an organization. So by virtue of the fact that we work with a lot of startups, small to mid-sized companies, culture is very important because when you add a single person to a company that only has 25 employees, that person makes an impact. It's either a good impact or a bad impact, but that one person makes an impact. So culture becomes critically important when you're talking about smaller companies because every person is known, what they do is known and felt, and it can either be a very positive thing or not. How do you help companies in the hiring process assure that the person they're interviewing will actually fit the culture and isn't just playing the game, if you will. We ask a lot of behavioral type interview questions as a search firm. So when we are vetting candidates for our clients, we create a spec that includes both the elements of experience that candidates must have, as well as the character traits and personality traits that we know are going to work based on what we've learned from our clients. And so when we're vetting candidates, both through phone conversations as well as video meetings, we do a lot of behavioral type interview questions because we're trying to understand, does this person exude the the characteristics? Do they say the right things about what drives them? So much of what, what determines culture fit is about what motivates a person. What are they really motivated by? And looking at their background and where they've been successful and in what types of companies they've been successful can be very helpful to sort of becoming very accurate in that assessment. But it's it's not 100%. And so right. I think we've been doing this for 20 years now. And after 20 years and really spending time having these types of conversations and looking people in the eyes and um, asking tough questions, you get pretty good at reading um, what's genuine and what's not. You mentioned to me previously that a lot of companies are popping up 
these days in life sciences. And those newer companies don't seem as risky as they might have been 10, 20 years ago. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So you have a lot of hubs around the country now where, for example, they have incubator spaces and and they're essentially building biotechs in these buildings. And then they graduate from the incubator space and go out to their own space. But, you know, areas like New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Research Triangle Park, San Diego, Orange County, even San Francisco, they're all, they have these hubs in all of these areas. And the the reality is that there are so many of these companies that if one of them goes in a direction that no one wants it to go, there's literally another one down the hall that is likely searching for the same kind of talent. So the wonderful uh, reality of where we are, and it, and it still seems to be the case even in the current economic situation that we face, that, that the investors are still bullish on biotech. They are very much committed to continuing to raise funds, continuing to invest in biotech, and continuing to support life-saving innovations. And so as long as the investors believe and are committed, they are going to keep funding these companies, and these companies are going to keep popping up. And if one of them doesn't make it, another one literally down the hall, again, is, is there. So yeah, I mean, it's very condensed in these biotech hubs with lots and lots of companies. Yeah, so those hubs, and as you say, down the hall, everybody, of course, knows everybody in this industry one way or another, and it really minimizes the risk for the investor to be part of one of those hubs where all these people are working together and you're with all these other companies that if you need someone, maybe there's someone who's popping up because the other company didn't do as well and vice versa. It's you're sort of pooling your resources, even though there are somewhat definitive lines between each entity. Yes, absolutely. Nice. Yeah. I mean, you know, you go to Kendall Square in Boston and there's just one big building after another that houses all of these emerging biotechs and they all know each other. They all talk to each other. They share resources, best practices. And, you know, so there's a it's it's quite a network that exists in these these markets. So this will be the last question. Is there anything around the current pandemic that has changed the situation or even the logistics of the process right now where people maybe aren't traveling as much and so on? Yeah, so certainly, yes. I mean, we uh, have been a virtual company for 20 years. So the change for us was not internal because we're all used to being productive and disciplined and working from a home office when we're not traveling. But what what was an adjustment is our clients figuring out how to implement that effectively and staying connected to us. As you might imagine, when all this is happening, their primary focus is not on communicating with Sloan Partners about someone that doesn't actually work for their company yet. Right. I mean, that that's not their priority. So it took a little time for everybody to figure out how to be productive, how to get their teams uh, set up to work remotely and how everybody's going to communicate and still deliver on their goals. And so our 
role in all of that has been A, being patient, and B, helping them work through how to continue on with the search processes that we had going on and feel like they were still getting everything they needed out of interviews. And I'm very glad to say that we've actually placed many candidates in the last month that started and ended entirely virtually, started the interview process virtually and accepted an offer virtually and started working for the company virtually. In fact, we just had a CEO start this week where the entire process happened virtually. So we feel really good about that. And, you know, just the fact that the the companies by and large remain committed to getting the talent they need. That's nice to hear for many reasons, obviously that it works at all and that people are still hiring and, you know, we're fortunate to be in an industry right now where demand continues. So Leslie Loveless, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for all that information. I'm looking forward to sharing it with everyone. It's been my pleasure, Chris. Thank you for having me. You bet. I, for one, am excited to see uh, the result of the big picture thinking that Leslie talked about. I think it's going to make a huge difference uh, for our industry, and it's glad to see people are catching up and, and thinking a little bit differently about what kind of skills we look for and what kind of background we need. And then also that there are opportunities for people who've come up through the life sciences to move into different areas. If you love the podcast, there's a good chance that you sit near someone or you used to sit near someone. You're going to be on a Zoom call with someone else who would love it. So if you would share it with a couple of those folks, I would greatly appreciate it. I will be back soon. I am not necessarily sticking, as you can tell, to the two-week cadence I originally had. And I've got a couple more podcasts lined up, and I will release those as they are ready. So thank you very much for listening. I will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.